Some qualities are innate, but I think if you want to be a really outstanding leader, like anything else in life, you can be a natural athlete, but if you don't really practice the craft as a leader, if you don't practice the leadership craft, I don't think you can be an enduring leader. Hi, and welcome to the New Rules of Business by Chief. I'm Carolyn Childers. And I'm Lindsay Kaplan, and we're the co-founders of Chief, the network of the most powerful women in business. Each episode, we take on a complex, thought-provoking leadership question. And today, we'll be looking at a topic that we are all too familiar with at this point, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. how to lead in a crisis. Because every CEO's nimbleness and resilience was put to the test with COVID. And during these long few years, we've experienced social unrest, rise in hate crimes, a foreign war that feels very close to home, mass shootings, women's rights threatened. And well, Carolyn, please cut me off because this list continues to go on and on. Uh, And as we spoke with Alan Murray about in an earlier episode, we're actually in this new age of stakeholder capitalism where businesses can't stand idly by while social issues arise. And in fact, we're even expecting companies, leaders, and businesses to jump right in. A move that has to be both genuine and it has to be aligned with the company's values, but candidly can also just be super risky. With many of these divisive issues, any decision can be the wrong decision to someone. So executives are finding themselves in a position of needing to lead their business, not just to hit revenue goals, but also to wade into sociopolitical issues and make it through to the other side. It has been said that a leader's reputation is both made or lost during times of crisis. And these were actually the wise words from our guest today, Ken Chenault. Ken is one of the most influential business leaders of our time. He spent 17 years as the CEO of American Express during both the September 11th attack and the 2008 recession. So I think it's pretty safe to say that he has seen and led through his fair share of crises. Which is why we're so lucky to have Ken on our board at Chief. And he's also been on the board of IBM, Airbnb, and P&G. So today, Ken is Chairman and Managing Director of General Catalyst, and we'll be chatting with him on how leaders can build their reputation and not lose it as they manage the many crises ahead. Thank you, Ken, for joining us on the podcast. We're really excited to have you here today. It's great to be here. There's just been so many times where you've told us your perspective of leadership and the leadership principles that you live by. And we'd love to kick it off by opening it up to you to share a little bit of that leadership philosophy here. For me, my mantra is the role of a leader is to define reality and give hope. Now, that is a quote that I've paraphrased from Napoleon, so I don't want to wind up like him, but to (laughs) me, it's the most simple definition of leadership. What is really challenging sometimes is to define what reality is, because there's so much uncertainty in the world. There's so much uncertainty in business, and so part of what you've got to do as a leader is give people context, give people the truth and help define what's real. But that's not enough, because that, at the end of the day, is a situational analysis. Now the question is, what are the tactics, what are the strategies that you're going to deploy 
that will give people the confidence and hope that they can succeed and the company can succeed. You've said that reputations are made and lost during a crisis. So what are the defining characteristics or traits that leaders need to fortify themselves with when managing through a crisis? So, Lindsay, I think what is most important in the crisis is you've got to define what are the core priorities that you need to focus on. So, for example, if you're dealing, as we have certainly over the last two years, with the pandemic, in the beginning, what was critical was the first priority needed to be your people. Second is, what context are you giving people on almost an hourly basis? Because part of what you've got to do is give people context so that they understand the reasons why you're taking certain actions. I think third is you've got to be transparent. You've got to constantly communicate with people. Because what happens is in a crisis, if you hunker in the bunker and don't get out and talk to people, that's going to be a major problem. And then I think fourth is let people understand and know here are some actions that we're taking that can move the business forward. Because most people in a crisis will only react defensively. And it's important that you understand how to protect your business. But my strong view is that in a crisis, you actually should get stronger. You need to look for opportunities to move your business forward because most businesses and most leaders in a crisis will operate 100% defensively. So if you can understand what are some offensive moves that you can take, you can emerge from the crisis stronger. Yeah. So you yourself have managed a business through many such challenges during your 17-year tenure as CEO of Amex. You've seen a company through a number of crises from 9-11 to the Great Recession. So can you just share one of the most defining challenges that you have dealt with and how you led the company through those moments? Yeah, I would say for me, what was defining from a leadership standpoint was my first year as CEO. And there were two situations that had a real impact on my reputation, both internally and externally. The first was six months in, there was a business that we spun off that is Ameriprise, a very successful company. But went six months in, and it was a business that I had not managed, we had to do a write-off of high-yield bonds of around $1.6 billion, which at that time was a big deal. I was very transparent that I thought that we did not understand the implications of some of the investments we made. And people thought, boy, how could this person be transparent and admit that? And what was defining is it was the first time I was meeting Warren Buffett. I was frankly nervous because this is the first time I'm meeting him. And so I said, Warren, I just want to tell you, I know this is probably upsetting news for you, but this is the truth. This is what happened. And he looked at me and he said, if you had said anything else, I would have said, maybe you're a crook. And so that was just such a reaffirmation of the importance of being truthful. And then the second obviously 
far more challenging moment was 9-11. That's where I really understood what leadership was about because I didn't have a guidebook that I could follow. One of the things at a very human level was we lost 11 of our colleagues. I was in Salt Lake City when the attack happened and I couldn't get back for two days. But the first thing I did when I got back to New York was I started to visit the families that had lost someone. The impact was very, very strong. And that really demonstrated to me the importance of empathy was absolutely core. And one of the things that I did was I gathered all the employees from the tri-state area, around 4,000 people, into Madison Square Garden. And unscripted, I just talked to them about how I felt, what was happening, that there was uncertainty. And I showed some vulnerability, which I think was important. The first directive was focus on the safety of all of our people around the world. Second was focus on the safety of our customers all around the world. That was the priority. Then the third was let's understand what are going to be some of the impacts on our business going forward. But the focus was first on the people, then it was the company, and then it was putting together the strategy. And so one last piece of this, which I do think is important from a leadership standpoint, which reinforces the trust, is I recognized because of the changes that were happening in the travel industry that we were going to have to make some fundamental changes. I decided two months after 9-11 that we needed to lay off 15% of the workforce. Now, you can imagine that the concerns that this would traumatize the company. And one of the things that I did was I had all of my top leadership team, we all talked all around the world of why we were doing this. And we were able to do it, even though it was very difficult and we created very generous severance packages. But look, when you let someone go, that's a big impact that you have on them. Without the trust and without the communication, I think things would would have unraveled. And we did an employee survey, even with the people that we had laid off, and we got some of the highest scores that we ever did. Now, obviously, the context of 9-11, people understood some of the reasons. But if we didn't have the trust, not only with me, but of our leadership team, it wouldn't have worked. Ken, as a people-first leader, how much of that did you learn over time? And how much do you believe that as a leader that has to be innate in who you are as a human? I think, Lindsay, it's both. I do think some qualities are innate, but I think if you want to be a really outstanding leader, like anything else in life, you can be a natural athlete, but if you don't really practice the craft as a leader, if you don't practice the leadership craft, I don't think you can be an enduring leader. One of the things I think you've got to decide up front is that if you want to lead, you have to be willing to serve. That's a conscious choice that I made, that I want to be of service. So I am more in the servant leader mode, and that's consistent with who I am as a person. But growing up, I always wanted to be a leader, but in the times that I grew up, I wanted to be a civil rights leader. Mm. I didn't know that much about business. I wasn't that interested in business, but I knew that I wanted to be a leader and given the whole issue of race relations in the United States 
And given what was going on in the 60s and 70s, that's what I wanted to be. One of the things that I recognized, and it's frankly, as you know, General Lindsay, that it's part of the reason why I feel privileged to be involved with Chief is I saw business as the next frontier for civil rights. I think it's about empowerment. And that just is totally consonant with who I am. And I want to dig in there, as you mentioned, you started off wanting to be a civil rights leader and you went into business. What do you think the role of business and corporate leaders is today in society? So I think, Lindsay, as you know, because we've talked about this, the reality is the expectations for leaders and corporations has certainly evolved. One of the fundamental points that I make is that corporations exist because society allows us to exist. Mm. We have a responsibility to, in fact, improve society. If you want to build an enduring company, you have to care what happens to our society. That's the first fundamental point. The second is companies speak out for their own interests in society. Companies lobby for their own interests. Mm. I think it's important on some core issues that companies do take a position. And one of the points that I've made to people is, as we have moved to a more diverse society, the expectations go up. I'll be very direct. If we were back in the 50s and it was all white males, we wouldn't be having these issues. We wouldn't be having these issues at all. So one of the things I've said to people is, look, we should be a diverse society, but recognize the expectations change. And, and so the reality is that there are fundamental issues. As you know, voting rights was something, and I was so glad that Chief joined us in this effort when we got companies together to take a stand on states that were passing voting rights laws that really substantially jeopardized the ability for people to exercise the right to vote. And the intent was really to suppress the right to vote. And as you know, Ken Frazier and I and others put together a group. We got companies galvanized for that. And there were some people who said, and some politicians who said, business should stay in their lane. But they don't mind when business lobbies them on their own self-interest. And I think abortion is another issue that I think is pretty fundamental, that women should be able to control their own bodies. So I think part of what you have to do as a company leader and part of what you have to do as an employee in the company is do the values of the company align with your personal values and vice versa? You shouldn't join a company where there's not an alignment of those values. And then very importantly, there are some fundamental issues that, you know, if you've got different types of people in your company, you have to create an environment fundamentally where they feel embraced. And the point I go back to in the 50s or 40s or 30s is if in the days of segregation, large companies had said, we will not tolerate that in our workforce, I think we would have had an ex accelerated progress. Mm. And I think what's important is that empowerment is critical. And companies, I don't think, can take a stand on every single issue. But there are fundamental issues that companies need to take a stand on. 
to your point, there are many different issues that companies could take a stand on. How do you recommend a leader, a company, a board to really define which of those fundamental issues we feel we need to make a statement about? Everything you do in your business strategy and in what stands you take should be based on the mission and the values of the company. Second, for me, is I look at the issue of fundamental rights. Voting rights is fundamental. Right to abortion is fundamental. And so those two screens are important to me. I think you got to be very clear. I think then what you have to do is based on the mission and values of your company, you need to put those issues through the screen. And I think I go back to it should be discussed at a board level. Here are some of the issues that may come down the pike so that you're letting your board know. And I think that this concept that I've talked about, which I think is really important, is enduring companies have to be concerned what's happening in our society because we need a healthy, vibrant society to succeed in the long term. And I think this is a difficult, complex issue, but I think if we ground it in protection of fundamental rights, if we categorize it, here are issues that we need to think about because it's not aligned with our values as a company. So I think we should be thoughtful, and I do not think that we should speak out on every issue. I do think that you can go to the extreme, and it should be a few issues where you take a stand. And I think there's even a question for a lot of companies of, well, what is it that I need to do? Do I just make a statement? Do I actually take action? It's hard to know like the level of depth that you go. And I look at what you have done. And for some issues, you have said, I'm going to take an even deeper stance here. And one of those initiatives being the 110 initiative I'd love to just be able to tell our listeners a little bit about that and what inspired you to do that and what its mission is. Sure. So the day after the murder of George Floyd, Ken Frazier, who was formerly CEO of Merck, who's a good friend, we were lamenting what had happened. And we decided that we needed to do something. And we called up Ginny Rometty, the former CEO of IBM. I think she was then chairman. She was just stepping down. And we discussed focusing on an issue that we thought the private sector and particularly large businesses could have an impact on. And that really was employment opportunities. 80% of the jobs that pay $60,000 and above require a four-year college degree. And we said for Black people in particular, that was a structural barrier. And the issue is it had nothing to do in many cases with what was needed to perform at a high level in a job. And so we said we need to actually have more of a movement from a credential-based requirement to a skills-based requirement. And this is something that at IBM, Ginny Rometty had been very focused on. And so we said, look, we want to have a really bold target. So we said we want to create a million jobs for Black Americans who do not have a four-year college degree in 10 years. And we said we want companies to make a 10-year commitment, 10-year financial commitment, and a 10-year jobs commitment. Now, I think what's a very important point here is sometimes we tend to think in a win-lose situation. And while this effort is geared to Black Americans, the reality is we're changing the specifications and requirements on jobs. That impacts everyone. 
So part of the messaging is that this benefits everybody. And I think that this is something that I believe could have a transforming impact on our society. If we think of all of the unlocked potential, and the reality is part of what we should do as leaders is question the status quo. And the status quo is a four-year college degree. Now, I'm supportive and want people to go to college, but I don't believe people should have to go to college to have a family-sustaining job and to have a job that they are proud of and enjoy. And that's the focus. As somebody that absolutely loved my time at college, I can tell you creative writing degree, helpful, but probably not a necessity in business. So, uh, you know, I'm curious, Ken, since a lot of companies made pledges in 2020 around all of their DEI initiatives, pledges to change their leadership team, changes around how they were looking at equity within their businesses and fighting for inclusion and against bias, what grade would you give corporate America coming out of 2020? We've seen a few years have gone by, a lot of big talk overall. How do you think we've netted out? I would give them an incomplete grade. Wow. Because the reality is that it's all about outcomes. And so I do think there have been, in a number of cases, some very good efforts taking place, but we haven't yet seen the concrete results. Lindsay, this is about, as you know, persistence. The issue is people will try things for two or three years, and that's why one of the design elements of 110 was you got to make a 10-year commitment, and that was to reinforce persistence. I believe that there are a number of companies that take diversity very seriously. I think what we've also seen post-George Floyd is some of our elected officials questioning the need for diversity and trying to intimidate people from not, in fact, having diversity training at their companies. So I think what's going to be important here is we've got to show real progress. I mean, the reality is we need more women CEOs in top positions. We only have, I think, four or five black CEOs in the early 2000s. There were like 10 or 12. So at the end of the day, what I do think is important is what are the outcomes? And the reality is representation, that's a concrete outcome. And so that's why I give the incomplete. And I've said, I like the attitude. I like the statements. The effort is good. But all of us, we run our life by what are the outcomes? And that's what we got to see. So Ken, given the change that's happening right now in business post-pandemic, What advice would you give to the new guard of leaders? I think you've got to have a very open, inclusive, global perspective to everything you do. And some people might say, well, if I'm only a U.S.-based company operating in the U.S., the reality is we're all impacted by what happens globally. We clearly have to be focused on our local market, but we've got to have a broad, inclusive perspective. I think second is innovate or die. I really believe it. I mean, there's no middle ground here. I think you got to innovate. The third is focus on your talent. There's nothing more important than developing your people and get to know them. Show them that you're human. Let them know what are your beliefs. Communicate your values, not just through words, but through actions. And put together a strategy and a mission that inspires people 
that's what I think you have to do from a leadership standpoint. So speaking of mission and needing to put that together as a leader, what would you say your personal mission is today? I would say my personal mission is to make a lasting impact on society. The way I thought about myself at American Express is, I said, fundamentally, from 1850 on, American Express has been a service company. And when you're of service, you want to make people's lives better. In my role now at General Catalyst, I really want to, as our mission is to invest in powerful, positive change that endures. And at a personal level, as I said, I want to make lasting impact on society. I want people to be able to point back and to see initiatives that I was involved in that have had both a real and lasting impact. I will say, if that is your personal mission, as an observer of it all, you have had a tremendous impact on us at Chief, as well as many of the other places and initiatives and companies that you've been a part of. It has been ubiquitous as we were having early conversations, the number of people that told us, wow, you would just be so lucky and honored to have Ken on your board and part of that journey. You are nailing that mission. Yeah, I think Carolyn's giving you an A. Is that what I hear, (laughs) Carolyn? There's no incomplete grades here. We talk about the role of the company in society, but the role of boards has actually been one that I think has come into question over the last few years as things have played out in certain companies. You have been on the boards of some of the world's largest corporations and companies. How do you really see that role? What do you view as the most important impact that you should have as a board member? Let me first start off with what boards shouldn't do. What boards shouldn't do is try to manage the company. That's a big mistake. If you're in top management of a company, you do not want a board that is trying to manage the business on a day-to-day basis. To me, what the priorities are for a board member is, one, first and foremost, to ensure that the strategies that you are presenting have been well thought through. I think a board can be helpful in that. You should be using your board to help you think through and refine your strategies. What I think is most important, however, is helping top management with talent development and succession. Mm. Because again, back to an enduring company, what's more important than making sure you've got outstanding leadership? And I think a board can be helpful there. Third, and I think there are differences between what I would say a very large established company and a company that's at an earlier stage, is when you're on the board of a company at an earlier stage, you want to really help them grow. And you need to be involved. So if you need me to call someone or talk to somebody or whatever, as a board member, you need to be prepared to do that because you should be in service to the company. Amazing. Ken, I want to close this up by asking, what is the best piece of leadership advice that you've ever received? And what is the worst piece? And I'm really curious what bad advice you've gotten over the years, because I think you are a fountain of great advice. So I'm curious, in particular, what you have rejected as terrible leadership advice. Yeah, so I would say the bad leadership advice, while well-intentioned, was if you want to succeed at this company, you need to 100% conform to 
in essence, the status quo. And I think particularly for a woman, for a person of color, this challenge of conforming is not trivial. But one of the things that I believe in strongly is you do have to bring your true self to work. And it doesn't mean that you don't conform in some areas, but not to the detriment of your true self. And so I think it's really bad advice when someone tells you you should not be your true self. That's really bad because you're then not going to be an authentic leader. The best advice I got was really to be a servant leader. I think that just is totally aligned with my values and beliefs. Love that. Well, Ken, this has been absolutely wonderful. Thank you for joining us on this podcast. Thank you for joining us at Chief and really appreciate the time you spent with us. It's been great. And onward and upward. Onward and upward. I'm just thinking about Ken as a little Napoleon. (laughs) I can't get that image out of my mind. That's right. I should put on the uniform. With the hat? (laughs) Yeah. Maybe I'll do that next Halloween. That was Ken Chenault, the chairman and managing director at General Catalyst and one of Chief's earliest advisors. And as always, every time we talk to Ken, such an insightful conversation. For sure. But now I really want to see Ken in a Napoleon costume. (laughs) Yeah. Well, while Napoleon may not be the person we all look to for leadership advice on a regular basis, that mantra at least is a really good one to define reality and to give hope, which may sound simple enough, but is actually a, a really big act of radical candor, giving people the truth of where the business stands, what the values are when making tough decisions, and sharing how the business is going to get through a crisis while putting its people first is actually incredibly difficult, but also just incredibly important. Well, as Ken says, our society gives us the reason to exist. So it only makes sense that we pay attention to what's going on in the world. And we saw what happens when companies don't follow the way society is shifting. Because going against the grain isn't necessarily a bad thing, but then you have to be prepared for the consequences. Right. Meaning inaction can actually be more harmful to your company's reputation and bottom line than taking an action, even if it's not perfectly correct. You're not always going to make the right call every single time, and that's okay. The point is to preemptively establish that trust with your team and have clearly defined values up front so that you're not always on the defensive when a crisis strikes. Yes, you have to define your values and align with your board and your leadership team on what those fundamental issues are up front. And I think that's going to help you quickly react and respond when one of those pillars gets threatened. There really is no playbook on how companies and executives should respond with any one of the issues that we face today. But you can't go wrong by being honest and forthcoming with the team. Not all CEOs might feel comfortable with that role, but the trust and loyalty you gain when the team feels like you're on their side and fighting for what's best for everyone is worth putting yourself out there. Right, Lindsay? Lindsay, are you listening to me? I'm sorry. I'm just imagining Ken in a Napoleon suit. (laughs) You really need to let go of that. (laughs) That's all for this episode of The New Rules of Business by Chief. 
don't miss out on all of our Chief content. You can get more podcast episodes by following this show on your favorite podcast app. And if you're more of a social media person, find us and join the conversation on LinkedIn. But if you're ready to up the ante, and if you're thinking about becoming a member of the Chief Network, head to our website, chief.com, where you can apply. As a member, you'll be connected with the most powerful network of executive women across the country. Thanks, Sharon Yee, Courtney Conley, Katrina Conan Real, Blaine Edens at Chief, and to our production team, Pod People, Rachel King, Matt Sav, Amy Machado, Gina Moravec, Hannah Pedersen, Madison Lesby, and Michael Aquino. Our music is by Colin Hatch. I'm Carolyn Childers. I'm Lindsay Kaplan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.